KRXO FM and KRXO HD Oklahoma City, a product of Tyler Media. Vote the franchise, your favorite station for sports. KRXO FM and KRXO HD Oklahoma City, a product of Tyler Media, reaching over 1 million Oklahomans every week. Now, the Outdoor Hour, giving you the inside scoop on the great outdoors, presented by Park Ridge Medical Clinic on 1077 The Franchise. As long as I can remember, I've been drawn to the outdoors. There's something primal in each of us that awakens when we step outside the bounds of modern society and back into the vast possibilities of the natural world. The more civilized our lives become, the louder our hearts cry for reconnection with our native ways. Failure is imminent, dangers drawing nigh, but approached with reverence and tact, the outdoors return wisdom in game. In both the outdoors and in life, harvests are fleeting, but lessons and memories abound. With that in mind, we step forth boldly together in pursuit of ourselves outdoors. We are nothing more than tree stand troubadours. Welcome inside the first ever Outdoor Hour on 1077 The Franchise. I'm your host, Taylor Maples, and I'm excited to bring you a different kind of sporting talk show each Wednesday night at 8 p.m. We're going to do a lot of different things with this hour each week. We'll talk to outdoorsmen. We'll discuss upcoming game seasons, regulations, strategies for greater success in hunting and fishing. We'll occasionally talk gear and equipment. We'll talk with experts in hunting, fishing, conservation, professional and amateur athletes, coaches, both locally known and nationally renowned. We'll touch on rock climbing, mountain biking, cycling, kayaking. If it gets us out there, we'll talk about it in here. We'll connect with friends, families, children. We'll tell stories, share successes. We'll share in defeat, and we'll build community that inspires and drives us all to get outdoors more often and do so with greater confidence. I'm like many of you. I have a day job. I work from 8 to 5, and often more than that as a marketing consultant here at Tyler Media. I also spend what feels like all of my nights and weekends doing play-by-play broadcasting on TV and radio down at OU. I have my first child on the way. I'm in a never-ending battle to find my place in a world that continually asks more of us and gives less to us, all while trying to save a little bit of money and get outdoors as often as I can. I grew up in Colorado Springs, just a couple of miles from Garden of the Gods, those beautiful red rock sculptures in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Camping, hiking, mountain biking, fishing, hunting, rock climbing, it was all I knew outside of playing baseball. If I wasn't at the ball fields, I was outdoors. I was in Cub Scouts as a young kid, Boy Scouts as I got older, and I was really fortunate to join a Boy Scout troop that prioritized outdoor recreation. Monthly camping trips, whether it was backpacking through the backcountry, climbing 14,000-foot peaks in Colorado, fly fishing trips, snow caving adventures, you name it, we did all of it. Eventually, I grew through high school, And ended up playing college baseball, which at certain points throughout my life made it harder to be outdoors. My last few years of high school when I was focused more on baseball and those outdoor activities didn't come quite so frequently, I didn't really realize how much I was missing a piece of myself until I created more opportunities as I graduated and moved on in the next season of life. 
how much I needed to get away from that modern society. I moved from Denver, Colorado, here to Oklahoma City in 2018, fully expecting at the time that my outdoor opportunities would be behind me. And frankly, it's been the complete opposite. I have been blown away at the number of outdoor opportunities Oklahoma has to offer, along with their proximity from working in the city to living just outside, how easy it is to leave my desk at 4 o'clock in the afternoon because the moon phase is just right and sneak off to the deer stand for the evening. On top of that, there's tons of great public access and so many willing private landowners as well. Everybody knows somebody with land they'll let you use. And frankly, if you don't have private land to use in Oklahoma, I'm convinced you just haven't asked. Being outdoors has always been a spiritual and therapeutic experience for me. It's something that I not only crave, but I truly need. Whether it's hiking with my dog, standing in a stream with a fly rod in my hand, mountain biking through the hills, or sitting in a deer stand, there's nowhere else I feel more alive and centered than in the outdoors. It's where I go to meet myself in the present moment. We live in a world today that's constantly and quickly trying to dehumanize us. Society is continually repressing our history and who we've been, where we've come from. And I think it's important for us to do the opposite, to remember and embrace who we are and where we've been. Hunting, fishing, and life outdoors are a part of who we are. They're a part of our stories and our histories throughout countless generations. Only recently, as a society, have we even stumbled upon this notion that an individual might abstain from participating in endeavors like hunting. And only recently has it even been possible to live a life that avoids at least the occasional life-altering ordeal in the natural world. And all of that notion has started to spread like a wildfire. Society and life in urban landscapes began as a luxury one might aspire to. Today, we dream of a small plot of land with some farm animals and a cute little farmhouse. And those of us without acreage think, man, what a luxury that would be. How quickly our world has changed. Today, only 5% of Americans identify as hunters, whether that's due to a shift towards an easier, more efficient means of obtaining animal proteins or a decision to abstain from consuming meat altogether, whether it be a love for the city life and the luxuries of the modern world. Much of our society today seems prepared and eager to move beyond what it means to be human and reassess our position in the animal kingdom. I tend to go in the opposite direction. I don't consider myself a contrarian by nature, but when it comes to modern society, I do find myself purposely, continuously steering myself out of the current. I was raised as a hunter and an angler. I was not raised with wild game to be a substantial part of my diet, but hunting was a, a way to get outside, to spend time with family, to connect with the environment around me, and learn to respect my place in the natural world. We as humans have a deeply rooted need to know our place in the universe, in the food chain, in the pecking order of high school popularity. We're always measuring ourselves against our surroundings, seeking validation and significance. I was raised to understand ecosystems and carrying capacities and about the delicate balance of life on our planet, as well as the role we as mankind play in enforcing that balance. Frankly, it's biblical. 
From a young age, I knew that hunting and fishing were vital means of caring for wildlife in the environments in which they live. Through carefully gathered data and game surveys to migration and harvest reports, anti-poaching measures, and more. In fact, if you're a hunter, you probably already know that most of the conservation that happens in this great country is paid for and spearheaded by hunters in the first place. If you're not a hunter, but you've stumbled upon this show anyways, that might be news to you. Think about your food. It's something many Americans choose not to do each day, intentionally driving our heads into the sand. There's so many buzzwords out there regarding food and diet today, organic, free-range, non-GMO, sustainable, humanely harvested, hunting checks, all of those boxes. And with this show, The Outdoor Hour, in the coming weeks and months, we're going to dive in a little bit more into each of these things, creating opportunities for community and means to get outdoors more frequently, to share stories with one another and do so efficiently and safely as well. It's time that we as hunters and outdoorsmen start to share those stories, and we're excited to do that for you here on the Outdoor Hour. Don't forget you can find me on Twitter at T underscore Maples or connect with the show at Outdoor underscore Hour. Let me know what you'd like to hear more about, what causes or stories you think we should be made aware of. On the other side of this break, we're going to sit down with one of my favorite Okies, former Oklahoma Red Hawk baseball player, current college softball coach, Jace Brewer, to talk about the lessons he learned playing professional baseball that make him a better outdoorsman and how this newfound passion for hunting has impacted his closest relationships. You're listening to the Outdoor Hour on the Franchise 107.7. We have a special guest joining us to provide a Men's Health Minute. Andrew, what do you have for us today? Hi guys, it's Andrew with Park Ridge Medical Clinic. Are you struggling with erectile dysfunction and sick of the pills? Well, we have a major medical breakthrough. The WAVE technology at Park Ridge Medical Clinic was tested by Cambridge University and the Cleveland Clinic, and the results are in. It's proven to increase blood flow by repairing blood vessels. No pills and no side effects. If you're ready to put a stop to your ED by treating the root cause, call us now. And not only will the assessment and blood flow ultrasound be free, we'll also include something unique that produces powerful results in the bedroom. That sounds like a great deal. This is a $600 value, free to those that call in the next two minutes. 405-839-7000. Guys, get your love life back. Call Park Ridge Medical Clinic now, 405-839-7000. Until next time, this has been your Mistums.com. Now back to the Outdoor Hour, presented by Park Ridge Medical, with your host Taylor Maples on 1077 The Franchise and the Franchise Mobile App. Welcome back inside the Outdoor Hour on 107.7 The Franchise. I'm your host, Taylor Maples. Honored to have with us today our very first guest on the program, one of my closest friends. I mentioned in the top of the show, my wife and I have lived in Oklahoma for about four years, and without a doubt, some of our closest family friends that we know are those that we've met since moving to Oklahoma. One of those is with me today. He's a local guy from Washington, Oklahoma, a baseball guy, outdoorsman. His name is Jace Brewer. Jace, glad to have you on the show with us. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for joining us today. You are a local guy. Um, Talk to me a little bit first about growing up in Washington, your outdoor experience, your baseball career from the little Jace days. We'll get into more of the more recent stuff as we go. 
Well, um, grew up in Washington, Oklahoma. Uh, my dad was a basketball coach. We moved to um, Washington in 1985. Um, he coached basketball, became the AD there. Um, and I grew up in a small town right there south of Norman. Uh, it's about 10, 12, 15 minutes from Norman. Um, played ball there. Played football, basketball, and baseball there. Um, and kind of went through those mainstream sports. Uh, playing those, having a dad that's a coach. Uh, you're a coach's kid, and you're always at those ball games. Um, that kind of working into the outdoors life. My dad fished a lot and that's kind of how i got into the outdoors as much as anything we didn't really hunt a ton um at all but we went fishing and we did that a lot so 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 basically sports and sports and fishing which is very similar to how i grew up as well um even just being around the office here at tyler media in the studios this morning with you jace it's amazing to me the connection that you have locally here with so many people like Todd Lisenby sitting across the glass here from us producing the show, Randy Heights in the office, so many stories, so many connections. It's one of the things I think that drew me to you initially beyond your crossing paths with my wife professionally out at Oklahoma Baptist University, but just the connection that you have through sports with people. And those of us that are on the backside of our athletic careers look back, and yes, it's fun to talk about you know, the touchdowns we scored, the championships we won, all of those sort of things, but it always does go back to the people we've met and the connections we've made with them through sports along the way. And that's really, honestly, what it's all about. It's all about those relationships. It's all about those connections. Oklahoma is a very tight-knit community. Um, like Todd and I playing football against each other when he was at Luther um, and I was at Washington, uh, had those good battles back in the day. But just with um, his dad being a coach, my dad being a coach, and all those connections that you have and those relationships that you build, that's really what it's all about. And it's no different in the sports world. It's no different in the outdoor world. Um, it's a community. And if you believe that, you'll continue to connect with people and, and grow in that. So you left the state of Oklahoma for college, ended up at Baylor playing baseball. Tell us a little bit about that process, how you ended up in Waco. Well, um, so I, like, I, like I said, I, I played three years, or I played three sports in high school. I wasn't about to give up football, basketball, or baseball um, in high school. Kind of knowing that basketball was my love, but baseball was probably my direction for me to be able to make something of a of a career um you know it it's it's crazy how it all kind of played out um really i i was going to grayson uh community college uh where tim tadlock was who's the head coach at texas tech now and we still talk today that's where i was going to go play baseball and baylor came late a guy named mitch thompson came and watched me play at latta one night and it just took one night for them to see it i was down there that next weekend and uh Got a great scholarship to go there, and uh, the Lord really blessed that. Um, that was really April or May of my senior year, and if you talk about that today with kids and recruiting and thinking that April, May of your senior year, you still didn't know where you were going, um, that would be crazy for kids to to understand that today. But um, I really wanted to go play to OU and felt like the Lord was leading me away and leading me to grow up a little bit and get out of the house and get out of Washington and go make the most of it. 
And it seems like you did. You had a great career at Baylor. We'll skip through some of that. Um, you can also find that online, obviously, if you're interested in seeing his numbers from his time in Waco. But you're drafted in the fifth round by the P- Tampa Bay Devil Rays at the time. Yes. Um, and later then traded to Texas, made it all the way as high as AAA, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you played with some absolute dudes along the way. Talk about that a little bit. Yes, uh so out of high school, I was drafted in the 43rd round. Uh, knew I really wasn't going to take it. Uh, wanted to go to Baylor. Knew that it would be the right situation for me. I was a two-year eligible draft guy. I was 21 by the time uh, that sophomore year, that summer sophomore year. And that's how I had some leverage there to for the, for the fifth-round pick and things that kind of fall into place there. But um, really, it was... Uh, I was drafted in 2000 with the Devil Rays. Baldelli was the first pick. There was no second, third, fourth pick. So I was arguing I was really the second pick for the Devil Rays that year, that fifth round. And really, once the offer came and the things that came about in that draft, I couldn't turn it down in, in, in going and trying to make it at the next level. Um, the Devil Rays, the year before that, the Devil Rays had drafted Josh Hamilton and Carl Crawford in 99. And then Baldelli was in 2000, and I was after him. So the the B.J. Uptons, the Delman Youngs, the Dewan Brazeltons, one of my best friends is, uh, for, is Fernando Cortez, who got to the big leagues with the Rays and the Royals and played. But just the, the level of talent that was rolling through the Rays, the Devil Rays organization, was pretty amazing. The names were pretty amazing. So everybody wants to glamorize professional sports in general specifically baseball but you get picked up you get shipped out it's not a glamorous life right away it is not um really the two ways that you you do well financially in the game is you make money out of the draft or you make money getting to the big leagues the in-between is very difficult and i was very blessed to be able to make money from the start uh, my wife and I started up our family, um, which actually makes it probably a little harder running through there because you go to spring training, then you get shipped off to um, a certain town or city that you're in or whatever. So you're really away. You're really away twice in a lot of in a lot of instances. Um, you normally have your home base, and ours was in Norman, but we were in St. Pete, Tampa for spring training, and then. Anywhere from Charleston, South Carolina, to Bakersfield, to Orlando, to Montgomery, to finished up with Durham uh, in AAA with the Rays, and then was with the Rangers for two years. Started in Frisco and ended up being in Oklahoma City for a year and a half, which was an absolute blessing. Our daughter was born in between those two years, so that was great. That was my really sixth and seventh year. Then my eighth year, I was with the Royals. Started in Wichita and then ended up in ended in Omaha. So it's it's a it's a hard it's a hard gig at times. The business is, is difficult at times. It's a dog eat dog and you gotta be tough and you gotta be able to handle those things, uh the ins and outs, the de- the day in and day outs of, of failure in the game and you gotta be able to bounce back. And those are the things that taught me so many lessons, um, in coaching and being an outdoorsman and uh, the patience of all of those things, the focus, the discipline, and that's really, those are the things that I'm super blessed in those eight years that I spent trying to make it, you know. 
That's one of the things that initially I noticed about you when we first met and started to text a little bit, just get to know each other, started hanging out, shooting bows together, was you had that foundation as a baseball player and you had learned a lot of those difficult lessons through the game of baseball that I learned as a college player. Um, things like process-oriented versus outcome-oriented, things like learning to deal with failure and use it productively. And the more that you and I converse about these sort of things and the closer we grow through the outdoor endeavors that we share, the more those lessons kind of reoccur and reemerge in the outdoors. So the first thing I want to do here for our listeners is define process-oriented versus outcome-oriented because that's a concept we are very familiar with. The baseball community, the sporting community is probably really familiar with. That may not be something that just the general everyday American spends a lot of time thinking about. Giving you a couple of seconds here, kind of as set up, how would you try to define process orientation versus outcome orientation? I, I really think that uh, a lot of process orientation, a lot of being in the process is being in the little things. Being in the little things that you can control, the controllables in a lot of ways. Um, whether it be in life, whether it be in marriage, whether it be as a father, as a hunter, as a coach. It's teaching these kids and teaching people around you that you get to come in contact with is how to work through those those processes. And honestly, there's there's a there's a little sheet that I kind of did when I was at Washington when I was coaching softball, and it was it was it was we were the Warriors at Washington, but it was warrior versus winner mentality. And to be a warrior, you will always be a winner, but winners are just that at times. And to be a warrior, even through losing, even through failure, even through all those things, you will get something. You will gain something out of the process that you may not gain out of just thinking about the winning piece of it. And so many times, winning is, winning is hard. And the failure piece is where you really learn. The losing piece is where you learn. So, yeah, I hate to lose. And everybody should hate to lose but the winning will be a byproduct of the process and kind of being that warrior like mentality where you're going into that battle every day and you're thinking about the discipline you're thinking about the focus you're thinking about the attitude you're thinking about hey how do I be a better teammate that day whatever it may be those are the things that I try to teach people friends players whatever it may be my own kids I got a 19 and a 16 year old and I'm sure they get sick of dad preaching at them all the time, but just those little things about how you day in and day out live in that process. So as a baseball player, this looks like us putting in our time in the cages, taking reps of ground balls in the infield, focusing on doing those little pieces of the game so that we can be repeatable and we can find more success more frequently um, on a bigger stage. What happens if we start to just focus on the destination? If we just try to say, hey, I just need to win at all cost, what do you risk with that kind of a perspective? Well, I think you risk a lot of what people think today. I mean, you risk you risk really understanding the purpose of your passion, the purpose of um, the energies that you 
that you put into a career or a hobby or whatever it may be, being a student athlete in college, being a professional athlete. You risk some of those things, and I really wish I would have known. You know, you always look back and you wish you would have known a little bit more when I was going through pro ball from 21 to 28, 29, um, and just learning those those simple things about just daily, just daily little things, you know, and being in the moment. I tell my kids all the time, and I tell kids in high school all the time, I said, you can always fast forward life, but you can't ever rewind it. And if you live in the moment, if you live in that process orientation that we're talking about, you get so much more out of it than you would have ever. It's a controllable. You can control those things. You can control your attitude. You can control your re- your reactions, and um, it's hard sometimes. But if you think about those things day in and day out, and you think about living in that present time, then you can do those things a lot better. How does this relate to whitetail hunting specifically? Well, I think patience is a big one. Um, I think uh, just the challenge. I think that's why I got into bow hunting. Um, I don't even own a rifle. I don't really ever want to own a rifle. I just want to bow hunt until my shoulder falls off, basically, and then I grab a crossbow and go. But um, I think the challenge, I think the patience that it's that it's created in me to just be able to go sit in a stand. and um, There's a lot of catch-up time for me um, getting to know Craig Griffith with Oklahoma Bow Hunter, him being one of my best friends, and really with with Jack's learning kind of bow hunting through him and me learning bow hunting through him, like the processes of knowing that I had to go into this thing trying to catch up um, in the years that I had missed. So I've had the chance with with older kids to be able to go sit and stand through the through the off season between a fast pitch season in the fall and a slow pitch season in the spring in high school and set 120 to 150 times and really take in the take in what nature kind of throws at you and to enjoy the uh kind of god's creation and and the spiritual piece of that as well when you you're getting there before the sun's up and you're watching everything wake up and there's something about that that's really really cool and really really spiritual there's a couple of things again that have impressed me kind of walking alongside of you in my journey in development as a bow hunter one of them is the amount of days that you sit you know i talked at the top of the show about having a day job and just the challenge that we face as modern day hunters to even create margin and get out to sit in a stand routinely and you have pushed me and i know you push a lot of other people to just get out and sit more and it's not just because that increases your likelihood of harvesting a big buck right for you, it, it truly seems to be the enjoyment of the process and just the work that it takes to be in those situations, whether it's, you know, studying pinch points on maps and cleaning out brush and creating your own trails, planting food plots. I don't know that I've ever run across somebody that cares more about creating opportunities to be successful than they do the successes if and when they ever come. And that, to me, just screams that process orientation that we've learned through the game of baseball. Is that kind of how you see your outdoor experience? Very much so. I mean, I love I love all the things that 
the journey, just like you said, the journey and not the destination, not the final kill. Like the final kill is going to happen, and that's all going to be a byproduct of the time that you put in and the and the earning piece of really being able to be out there. And I've had the, the time to be able to do it over the last really six, seven years. Um, but from tracking and trailing to reading cams to deer hunting, you got to be a step ahead of deer. And if you can't get a step ahead of them, then they pattern you just as much as you pattern them. Mm-hmm. And that's what's amazing. And I've told people this a lot, and this is what I learned, and I think this is the the best challenge that you can kind of blend being an athlete and uh, being a professional athlete and even being a bow hunter is is there's you're the away team every time you go out. I love and that. And that's the neat, like, I, I thought of that in a stand one morning, and I'm just like, that's the cool part is, like, you don't you don't get to be the home team. You're the away team, and you have to work within that buck or those deer and whatever, turkey or whatever you choose to do, their environment. They know it better than you, and you've got to find a way to blend in and make it happen, and that is a huge challenge, almost as big a challenge as I've ever done, and I think that's the real reason why I love it is it gives me something to 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 have passion and energy with in an off season where it's a hobby, but this hobby has become such a passion to me as I, as, as I go through life. So how do you evaluate your seasons then? Because a destination perspective or an outcome orientation would say, if I fill a freezer, if I get a wall hanger buck on the ground, that was a great season. That doesn't seem at all like the approach you take. In fact, you have sent me pictures from your cell phone of what I would consider to be wall-hanging bucks within 25 yards of you, and you're just sitting there enjoying the moment, being in the presence of that creation. So what what does that scorecard look like for you throughout the course of a deer season? I don't think that – so we've hunted for six years. My son and I have hunted for six years. Um, kind of changed our relationship because it gave us something where we were on level playing field. Now he's a college golfer, and he has that, and that's been a blessing to him. But the hunting game kind of helped our relationship in that. And being able to manage properties, I think Craig and a guy named Tyler Lampkin and Brad Lucas and Logan McCaskill, these guys that like helped me grow as a hunter, is it's not about the kill all the time. I mean, we've killed three good bucks, three 135, 141, and 143, and 151 in six years. Jack's killed one doe. And, like, there's a lot of times where I passed up a lot of bucks on the hoof and in the daylight. The one that I killed this year, I bet I saw him five or six times on the hoof last year, and he was probably a 120, 125. And he grew every bit of 25 to 30 inches the next year. We really didn't even recognize him until he was on the ground. And those are the things that are fun about that process and about the way that it plays out. And, you know, it's not about the kill all the time that's that's the final reward you know but it's about the track and the trail and the feeding the reading the cameras the the finding scrapes the finding rubs the all those things that 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 go into it that is so fun to do guys we're chatting with jace brewer former oklahoma red hawk baseball player current softball coach at oklahoma baptist university 
We're going to take a break. We're going to keep Jace here with us for the final segment as well to talk a little bit more about that relationship that he's developed with his son through hunting, other relationships, and we've got a lot more good stuff ahead for you, including some of my favorite game recipes, some uh, outdoor stories from around the country that we'll talk on. So don't go away after this. Before we leave, though, guys, if you're one of the 20 million American men struggling with ED, check out Park Ridge Medical Clinic. Don't just fight the symptoms of ED with a pill. Treat the root of the problem. Park Ridge Medical has a new office here in OKC, and they use state-of-the-art, clinically proven technology called acoustic wave therapy to actually repair blood vessels and increase blood flow where you want it most. They even feature all-male staff, so your office visit is perfectly comfortable. Guys, quit making excuses. If you struggle with ED, get your love life back. Give the guys over at Park Ridge Medical a call. Call my buddy Andrew, Park Ridge Medical Clinic, 405 405- Eight three nine seven thousand. Plus, those guys are great supporters of this show, the franchise, Oklahoma City in general. They partner with Okieland Bow Hunters that we'll talk about coming up after this for a once in a lifetime mule deer hunt giveaway in Wyoming. They partner with us in all of our Tyler Media Cares initiatives, from winter coat drives to veteran support initiatives, Christmas toy drives and more. Guys, if ED is the top of mind for you, give them a call today. 405-97000. We're going to take our final break here. When we come back, we will talk more about Jace Brewer and his endeavors in the outdoors. You're listening to the Outdoor Hour on 107.7 The Franchise. Now back to the Outdoor Hour presented by Park Ridge Medical with your host Taylor Maples on 107.7 The Franchise and The Franchise Mobile App. Welcome back inside the Outdoor Hour on 107.7 The Franchise. I'm Taylor Maples sitting down with Jace Brewer talking about life lessons learned through sports, specifically baseball, the outdoors, the crossover between all of those, as well as how just being an outdoorsman in general has affected the relationships in his life and those around him. Guys, we want to take a moment, though, to talk about firearm safety. Um, It's one of those things that is always top of mind for outdoorsmen. How can we ensure the safety of ourselves as well as those around us? And if that's top of mind for you, give my buddy Jared a call over at Affordable Training Systems. Whether you have a long-standing experience with firearms or you don't own a firearm yet, it's important to know all the aspects of shooting and owning a firearm safely. Safety doesn't happen by accident. It requires deliberate practice and training. And ATS challenges you to step up your safety and not let complacency make you or a loved one a victim. So if that's something that speaks to you, get a hold of Jared over at Affordable Training Systems. Sitting down with Jace Brewer talking about the outdoors here in the first ever outdoor hour on 1077 The Franchise. Glad to have you with us. Before the break, Jace, we were just starting to talk a little bit about the relationship side of this. We talked at the top of our segment together about some of the baseball relationships that you developed, some of just the community relationships around Oklahoma in general. How do you feel like the outdoors has affected the way in which you build relationships with people in general? Well, um, you know, it's just another avenue. It's just another place. It's just another area that you can you can witness to people. You can share with people. You can relate with people. You can celebrate with people. Um, you can encourage people. Um, 
there's no better way to do it than in the bow hunting world where honestly it, it's as much failure as it is success and you a know, lot more failure a lot more and I, i've failed way more than i've succeeded but just to keep at it and keep keep those people on your side you know and those people that will encourage you to get back out there and and do that just like they would if it was if if it was a strikeout or if it was an error or if it was a missed free throw in a game in high school or whatever like that's what that's what people can can do in relationships and that's really what i look for in relationships um at 42 you know what like let's be around people who encourage us and love us and challenge us and keep us accountable and celebrate you know that's what that's why craig and i get along so well and I try to help him as much as I can because Oklahoma Bowhunter, that's what they do is they celebrate and they educate. And that's kind of why he got that thing going. And it just was right up my alley when it came to to the challenge of hunting. They're well known, obviously, for their great branding and merch. I see you have the Oklahoma Bowhunter hat on today in the studio. Wearing it all the time. He's done a good job. <laughs> You mentioned your relationship specifically with your son, Jax, and I know just from talking with you, um, you will often say that golf was the best thing that happened to him, but hunting is the best thing that happened to the two of you. Unpack that a little further for me. Well, and I think when uh, you're sports-oriented, and I was mainstream sports-oriented through my life, and you want your son to do that as well, and you want your son to play football and basketball and baseball but that gets hard at times and to live up to those things gets hard from any father-son perspective and really once he got into seventh grade he kind of said hey i want to buy a bow we buy me a bow and teach me how to shoot it and i'm like i don't know how to shoot a bow so where do we go we go to craig's and he starts teaching jacks how to shoot and i'm like why am i not doing this this is a skill set sport that's right up my right up my alley and right where I need to be and so I start shooting the bow and just the relationship of of kind of growing through that and being on like I said earlier level ground and learning together and um really that piece of it helped us as much as anything as he was rolling through middle school and high school and now he's in college college golfer at USAO but that really really helped us in so many ways just from a father just from a father-son perspective the influence of guys like craig on your son can't be overstated and the outdoors have created that kind of an environment how do you now as a father with a son in college start to look for opportunities to give back in that way because i know you do i know that looking for those means to use the outdoors to mentor and shepherd the next generation of young men in particular but young young boys young girls as well um how has the outdoors created a vehicle for that for you as well well i think if you think you can do it yourself as a father you're probably wrong in a lot of ways so you're <laughs> trying to piece people into your kids lives that help build them up and I think we lose community. Um, you know what? I, I believe it takes a village to, to grow up strong children. And Craig was that, that guy for, for Jax. And there's been a lot of guys for Jax that are, are that. And I'm just trying to put him in a position to learn from those guys. Um, and honestly, it comes full circle because 
I can do that with I can do that with kids today. I mean, my son's out of the house. My son's in college, and I can go do that with a middle school kid or college baseball kids at OBU who bow hunt public land, and we can take them to some private land that we've got leased up. And um, you last year taking you to bow hunt, and um, a neighbor kid that I took to bow hunt, and just being able to to really put people in those opportunities to succeed and know that you know they may not succeed at that point but there's life lessons and there's growth in learning the bow hunting game and it's real it's authentic and that's really the community that I want to be in and I want to share with share with other hunters hunting by nature is a little bit of an exclusive group, right? Less than 5% of Americans identify as hunters today. And even we in that 5% can be a little guarded with our resources. When you look at hunting, I think there's three major barriers to entry. I think the first and most obvious is weapons, whether it be a bow or a firearm. We do not live in a society today that is openly seeking opportunities to encounter firearms in new ways. If we were raised around guns and bows, okay, we've got them and we understand them. We have that respect for them. But it's not something that many people today are going out of their way to pursue. The second piece of that is just the muddiness of legislation around hunting from tags to license to seasons all of this it's really confusing i've hunted and fished my entire life and i have to go back every year and read the manuals to make sure that i'm doing things correctly and those those regulations change year to year right the third piece and this i think is the most critical is access oklahoma does a great job of having public access for people to get out and hunt to fish to bike to just boat to do whatever it is they want to do in the outdoors but that's another thing that just impresses me about you jace is you are probably in the minority if i was to ask you right now your cell phone i know you've got game cameras do you have any deer photos on your phone that you haven't shown me probably not um i don't really i mean there's a certain group of people that i will show and a certain group of people that i won't show but okay for the most part i'm gonna i'm gonna show you what i what i got and maybe you have that maybe we have a a property that's that's right up in, against each other and we need to show um, pictures to each other or whatever like <clears throat> that's really something that I don't I don't hold back a whole lot with people because there's really no need to because you should celebrate somebody else's kill just like really you celebrate your own kill and that's the piece of the hunting game that I really learned from um, those who those who taught it to me and those who helped me manage and those who helped me really learn this this game and do it from a, a selfless manner. There really is such a selfless, I'm glad you used that word, community, especially here in Oklahoma. It's unlike anything I've experienced living and hunting and fishing anywhere else. And it's such a family-oriented, um, just from its origin, it seems like it's such a pure and authentic pursuit in the state of Oklahoma. And I really love that all the way down to just the family values and orientation. The first deer I shot in Oklahoma, Bryn Chapman from Okeyland Bowhunters had his, I don't know how old Frankie is, two years old, barely walking daughter out helping us trail blood through the woods because that's just what people do around here. It is. And, um, 
I don't think deer population has always been great in Oklahoma, but I think people have, over the last 10 to 20 years, have managed properties well. And really, I know over the last five to really five to eight years, um, those trophy kills, those 200 pluses, those really the 180, 200 pluses are being harvested here in the state of Oklahoma. Um, but really, the the state is pretty easy when it comes to access and when it comes to there's not a ton of loopholes. It's not real real hard to get a license and it's not real hard to get a tag and it's not real hard to do those things to be able to hunt and if you tell somebody you're gonna go out and hunt with a bow most people let you do it you know so um i think that piece of of, of just the community within the state is is big time too i mentioned that in the top of the show as well that if you live in oklahoma if you want to be an outdoorsman and you don't have access to land whether it's public you're not looking or private you're simply just not asking because the community around here especially seems to be so open to people doing things the right way um, and just enriching the natural resources that we have around the state i want to change gears a little bit and tell a story a little bit of news from around the country in the outdoors this is something that hits home closely for me i hope it's a story that you guys are all interested in as well coming out of rocky mountain national park estes park colorado um, there was a massive bull elk um, big enough that in the park he had names he had nicknames jace they called him bruno they called him big kahuna they called him the incredible um, Super Bull. They also call him Big Thirds because of the massive uh, thirds on his rack. Estimated to be between 13 and 14 years old. Um, biggest, baddest bull in Rocky Mountain National Park. And arguably the most photographed bull in the world was found dead last week after a snowstorm in the park. And it was just nature taking his uh, course. Apparently he'd been injured the year before during the rut, fighting with another bull. And that injury, along with the snowstorm that came through, singled him out as an easy target for a mountain lion. Um, I'm going to put some pictures up on Twitter, on the show Twitter, at outdoor underscore hour, so you can see those there. Just a beautiful, beautiful uh, bull. Photographer Andrew Sanders was one of the last people to see the king alive, as they called him, um, having watched him and photographed him the night before until nightfall. And then the night of his disappearance, a snowstorm rolled through. Despite being up at dawn, Sanders was unable to find him, enlisted the help of a couple other friends and photographers for a couple of days, and ultimately found the carcass near a river surrounded um, by mountain lion tracks. So just something to know about the uh, outdoor community in the world today that that was going on. But it's such a stark reminder, Jace, of the realities of nature. Um, a new king is going to reign in Rocky Mountain National Park this fall. There will be a new biggest, baddest bull, and it won't be Kahuna. Um, but it got me thinking, this is a big part of the story. I thought Kahuna might have been the most famous elk in history. And it reminded me of a story from my childhood growing up in Colorado Springs. In old Colorado City, which is the old original portion of town, um, there's an old bar called Thunder and Buttons. Thunder and Buttons is the name of this bar because of some old Colorado folklore. And the story is a true story. In 1888, there was a rowdy Colorado City resident named Prairie Dog O'Byrne. Good start. Uh-huh. Prairie Dog O'Byrne, so named because of the prairie dog he had running around in a wheel on the back of his wagon. He purchased two bull elk and hitched them up to his carriage. Their names were Thunder 
and buttons. And he would terrorize old Colorado City riding his wagon up and down Main Street in his elk-drawn carriage, causing an upset um, as he rode through town visiting the 21 saloons that line Colorado Avenue in what is now old Colorado City. So I don't know that Bruno Big Kahuna Incredible is the most famous bull to come out of Colorado, but probably the most photographed. Um, but there's a little bit of elk history for you in Colorado Springs history, thunder and buttons. That's something you don't see around here. Some good elk. That's some good elk history right there. Yeah, maybe that's something, you know, link up to the Sooner Schooner, a couple of bull elk, just to mix it up. <laughs> Colorado's got Ralphie the Buffalo. You know, maybe just a throwback day, do something different. I don't know. <laughs> I also want to talk about some outdoor recipes. Jace, this is something that I um, maybe even have more of a passion for than hunting in the first place is after kill care. From the butchering to the cooking, I'm always enjoying finding new ways to make wild game excellent. Um, I know that's something that you probably aren't quite as passionate about. That's why we've really forged a great friendship is you like to to help me be in situations to harvest, and then I like to create things for us to eat. Um, but I wanted to ask, is there a wild game recipe or an outdoor recipe or something that if you had to judges in front of you say, I'm going to make one outdoor or wild game recipe to put you on the spot here, is there something you would do? Uh Really, not off the top of my head, just because that's the part that I got to get way better at is the processing and the and the cooking. I know my wife would really um probably uh be appreciative of that, but uh really other than just the just the jerky and yep. And, and it's hard to go wrong with things good like jerky. that that you just I mean you can't go wrong with with jerky and at at any point. Yep. Um, other than that, like that's why that's why you're here and that's why we're buds because we I got to get better at that piece of it. So I'm going to go in the opposite direction. I set you up there for wild game. I'm going to start with the dessert. All right. Um, I grew up in Boy Scouts, as I mentioned in the top of the show. And as we would go camping, one of the luxuries I remember from our car camping adventures is that we would always have Dutch oven cobbler. And we weren't ever going to be carrying these Dutch ovens out into the backcountry uh, backpacking. But when we'd go car camping on occasion, I remember stacks of five or six tall Dutch ovens with just great, great concoctions of cobbler. So here's my outdoor recipe for the day for you. It's a Dutch oven cobbler. It could not be more simple. All you need is a Dutch oven, one box of cake mix. I prefer a spice cake or a chocolate cake, depending on ingredient number two, is one can of pie filling. So my recommendations, if you're going to go with a spice cake, go with like a peach, something light and fruity that way. Chocolate and cherry is a great combination. And here's the surprise ingredient, one 12-ounce can of Sprite or 7-Up. It is truly that easy. Pour in the pie filling into the Dutch oven. I like to line mine with foil, A, because it makes cleanup a lot easier, and B, uh, because it prevents burning around the edges. There may be some Dutch oven enthusiasts and purists out there that would cringe at the fact that I line mine in foil. Um, but dump in the box of cake mix, dump in the can of pie filling, Add the Sprite or 7-Up can and just stir it up. The key with the Dutch oven is it's going to heat evenly. So you can put some coals underneath, whether it's sitting in a coal in the fire or you've just got charcoal briquettes. Put a handful, 8 or 10 on top as well. Turn it 
close it, turn the lid a quarter turn every five to 10 minutes, just checking the cobbler occasionally to make sure you're not burning it. But after 25, 30 minutes, Jace, you're going to have a hot cobbler that I promise out in the woods is going to be the best after dinner dessert you've ever had. And I would love to eat that for sure because <laughs> I can... While I can't cook it, I can I can eat it with the best of them. Well, we've got some new lease land that we've acquired. We're going to have a little bit of a deer camp. So remind me, we'll put that on the menu for our first deer camp. How's that Deal. sound? Sounds great. Jace, I really appreciate you being with us today for the first ever outdoor hour on the franchise 1077. Next week, we're going to sit down with Kurt Kutlinski from the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation and talk about several research projects they have going on around the state. We're going to kind of establish a state of the union, if you will. Maybe we'll call it a state of the state um, for several game species around Oklahoma. They've just launched specifically a five-plus-year wild turkey survey, and we're going to dive deep in on the research that they're conducting and why it's important important today for the wild turkey population the following week then we'll chat with someone from the national wild turkey federation to learn more about hunting strategies best practices turkey calling and more to get you guys tuned up for turkey season which opens april 16th if you guys have a story to tell or a lesson you've learned in the outdoors give us a shout We'd love to have you on the show. You can find me on Twitter at T underscore Maples. You can follow the show page at Outdoor underscore Hour or connect with the franchise at at Franchise OK. If you have a business and you'd like to inquire about advertising on the Outdoor Hour or the franchise in general or on any other Tyler Media station for that matter, send me an email as well. You can connect with me via email at taylor.m at tylermedia.com, T-A-Y-L-O-R dot M at tylermedia.com. Jace, thanks for being with us today. Hey, thanks for having me, Taylor. Keep blessing people, brother. Absolutely appreciate you being with us. We'll see you next week. Until then, go boldly, and we'll see you outside. This has been the Outdoor Hour on 107.7 The Franchise.